You're listening to a Monster Kid Podcast. Welcome to Clock Strikes Midnight, a podcast for discussion of weird, fun films and TV shows to watch late at night. This is your host, Jay. So, turn out your lights, draw the shades, wrap up in your favorite blanket by the speaker, and listen for the 12 bells while we bring you tonight's outstanding topic. to the name baby in our, our first episode we talked about john carpenter's outstanding escape from new york which is an overlooked and underrated film in my humble opinion call me snake we'd make one hell of a team snake the name's pliskin uh, no more snake pliskin when i get back i'm gonna kill you you're gonna kill me now snake i'm too tired maybe later Remember, once you're inside, you're on your own. Oh, you mean I can't count on you? No. Good. You're Snake Plissken, ain't you? What do you want? I thought you were dead. Heard you were dead. I heard you were dead. Listen, Snake, I swear to God, I thought you were dead. Yeah, you and everybody else. I know who you are, but I heard you were dead. I am. It was an accident. About an hour ago, a small jet went down inside New York City. The president was on board. President of what? That's not funny, Pliskin. Call me Snake. You're a cop. What an asshole. And then in our second mini-sode, we had Ryan on, who, bless him, is not feeling so hot tonight. So shout out to our buddy Ryan, and hope you're feeling better, brother. But he came up with doing the game with Michael Douglas and Sean Penn, outstanding actors both. One day your game begins. You either love it or hate it. Are you going to spend the rest of the evening prying at that clown's mouth? Mr. Van Orton, is everything all right? Ah, Mr. Van Orton. Have we met? I believe so. Why are you following me? Find out about a company called Consumer Recreation Services. They won't stop, Nick. He's in on it. I paid the bill. I paid him more to make it stop. I need the police. who's gonna break into my house. I need poison from a bunch of depraved children. They're trying to kill me. Who's behind this? Who did this to me? Why? This is all the game. Now, I 
whole thing, aren't you? Make your life fun. We had a lot of fun doing that. And that was a little departure from, I guess they both, neither of them were strict horror, but by that token, I mean, I don't know. Clock Strikes Midnight says to me anything that you might watch after the kids go to bed. Right. That's how I feel about it. I think that's a good, that's a good description. So in honor of that initial thrust, we reached out to Pax Church, the man, the legend, and uh, (laughs) he's on with us tonight to talk about his favorite film, the outstanding 1975 epic Jaws. What is your experience with this film and why does it mean so much to you? And maybe we should start with when did you first see it? I was probably, so what did it come out? 74, 75? I was five and snuck downstairs to watch HBO at night. I saw uh, The Exorcist the same way. Starred me for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, no kidding. I was didn't want to like sit on the toilet for weeks after I saw it. When we were, we were about to go on a vacation to the beach and my parents were so pissed. That would not go in the water at all. But just, I, I don't know. I'm absolutely obsessed with it at that point. And like any kind of shark movies, like any shark exploitation stuff, I'm, I'm into it. Shark Exorcist. I saw Fred Beard was watching that today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Any kind of uh, shark horror, I'm totally into it. Even um, Sorry, I'm gonna, I have to interrupt. There's a guy on YouTube that has a list. It's called the 40 shittiest shark movies of all time. <laughs> my, my buddy and I, for many years, when Sharknado was a thing, he would throw shark parties, and we've watched like 38 out of those 40. Nice. And like nice. They normally are rated 2.0 to 2.8 out of 10. It, keep going. I'm sorry. Well, Bad no, shark that, movies are fucking fabulous. Well, when you, when you <laughs> do, do yourself a favor, there's an Indian movie that came out, I think it was mid-90s, maybe 95, 96, called A Tank Bollywood Movie. I think okay. that's the one. And it's literally like a Bollywood Jaws. But it's, okay. it's absolutely bonkers. It, I'm sold. It, yeah, I'm it's, it's it's totally good. I found out about it that we, like I said, we went to go see um, that showing of Jaws at Alamo, and they had the trailer at the you know the front end before the movie starts. They'll, they'll show all kinds of different stuff. It's outstanding. It, it's completely bonkers. Yeah, definitely. I'm, definitely I'm in, man. And all you have to yeah. do is tell me it's a bad movie with sharks. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't. Uh, I'm not big into the shark genre. And I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying I'm not familiar. Aside from like the crazy Sharknado stuff that is everywhere but i caught something on sci-fi that was called nightmare shark and i loved it that was it was awesome it was like replace freddy krueger with a shark and he was haunting people that's awesome (laughs) it was was so good i loved it state-of-the-art neuromedical facility now i have researched this dream my nightmare began after a shark attack its origins go back centuries the mind's reaction to extreme terror. It's common for the dream to recur while sleeping. Try to concentrate on the dreams. That's the key that unlocks lucid dreaming.
when you get a chance, look up Shark Knight 3D wrap. Um, That's a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but the rap on it. Have you ever seen that where That's like right, the actors yeah. are doing the rap? It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I own that one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll, yeah. you know what's interesting though. I'll tell you guys. So I, I've actually been on several real life shark adventures. True story. And if you're out there long enough, speaking of nightmare shark, it's not so much that I've had nightmares about them when I'm out on the water, but when you're in the hull of boat sleeping and it's gently rocking, etc. I've dreamed about them swimming below oh wow. uh, just circling swimming and again nothing nothing well for me anyway nothing spooky just present like brethren like right. uh, beloved friends and that that's kind of how i feel about them and that's why i always have this sort of mixed reaction don't get me wrong i love jaws i love spielberg i love the performances i love everything about it aside from its longer term impact on world shark population yeah 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 like that's well, my even- only the only thing I really don't dig. Even Benchley like backpedaled that afterwards and was like, "Man, I'm so sorry I did this. I it, that's the, that's I, the writer, I, I didn't right? mean it to happen." Yeah, he he backpedaled on it a lot. It, he wrote a couple couple books that were bent towards conservancy. I think they're towards the end. Yeah, he became a major contributor to shark conservation and research. You know, props to him. What has happened over the past 25 years is that sharks have become much more the victims than the villains. There are too many people with too much modern equipment going after too few fish and catching most of them. Sharks are caught on a line and their fins are slashed off. The living animal is cast back into the ocean. It dies automatically, it can't swim, it can't guide itself, it bleeds to death. The waste is enormous. It's 99% of the resource is being wasted. I have swum in a nature preserve off Costa Rica called Cocos Island and seen the bodies of sharks, the corpses of finned sharks littering the bottom of the sea. It is one of the most horrifying sights I've ever seen. But that said, if you take the shark behavior part of it with a grain of salt and just turn the animal into some ocean-going, the worst movie monster you can imagine, it it just plays off as a great movie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) With some great characters. Well, I mean, Quint's it for me. I know that's blasphemy to say about Jaws, but that's the pull for me is Quint. I I completely agree with you, though. Yeah, I think he's the best character by far. He's definitely the the most interesting. Have you guys ever read the book? Did you did you read it? Absolutely. You've read it, right? I have. Yeah. 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 Where he's like he's pulling out like baby porpoises that he's like hooked to chum the shark up. Yeah. He's a real bastard in the book. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. You brought that up, Pax. Basically, all three of those characters, none of them are particularly compelling good guys. Right. The novel. Right. They right. all have like major character flaws. Yeah. I mean, as I recall, Brody's like an alcoholic son of a bitch. Yeah. Cooper is... Well, he's banging the sheriff's wife, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just... But that said, it still became like the definition, right, of the summer blockbuster. Well, and you guys are... You guys are... What What do you guys... Like 30s, did you say? Something like that? Ish. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I'm 45. So I was in the middle of shit. And was he, was he 50? I said ish. But the marketing around this, man, I remember as a kid, and I wish I had him. The amount of money they go for now, but it was like everything. We had a Jaws beach blanket. I had like the little rubber sharks that they that they sold. Like it was everywhere. It's Jaws t-shirts. Like all the kids had Jaws t-shirts. Like shark pendant necklets had the you know the Jaws tag on them. 
it was ubiquitous at the time, man. You know, I mean, it was, and that was pre-Star Wars. Previously. They were they were kind of all over it. You know, what? that's a good point. So it, it sort of launched. So it did two things, right? It it uh, it made people afraid of the water. It, it increased like sort of hate crimes on sharks, if that's a thing. <laughs> but you're right. It also made people. It piqued people's curiosity. Well, you guys know the story about Lucas, right? So, uh, you know, he was, I think he was, I can't remember how it goes. He was either like working on the beginning of Star Wars or maybe filming it. There's a great story. There's a, there's this podcast on Wondery called Inside Jaws, but apparently Spielberg brought him to uh, uh, the shop to like look at the shark. He was showing him the, the hydraulics on it or the, the pneumatic on it and his head got stuck in there and they had to like, <laughs> and it's a true story. Like Spielberg has, has for sure, you know, verified it. Word on the street is that the thought of marketing Star Wars, he kind of got from seeing, you know, the money. And it was, you know, preliminary stages. Like back then, if you think about it, movie merchandise didn't, wasn't really like tied to movies. People just went to movies. There, yeah, there was not like a, a whole point, lot of that stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, the Universal Monsters, that's a, that's kind of a different thing. But talking about the uh, the shark, pretty famous that it's animatronic, and it's a very impressive animatronic. But there's a few shots. They use the real shark for some stuff, right? Yeah, well, they had they had a, a husband and wife team that was um, that was doing the, the filming. And, Jay, you probably know all this stuff. Uh, Ron and um, Valerie Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I wish I could... I believe it's human nature for someone to try and achieve the ultimate, just like uh, trying to climb the highest mountain or drive a, a motor car the fastest or even to dive to the depths of the ocean. And uh, going out into the water with a, a shark that's feeding, it's something that nobody else has ever done before and, and that's just about the ultimate. Remember the stuntman's name? Like he was—he was a little guy. They—they they shot him in the cage to make the shark seem like bigger, bigger scale. Oh, um, and he was um, maybe Liza Minnelli's like stunt double. He was—he was like that small. I was say, <laughs> yeah, that's was, tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but but yeah, they and and it, you'll see it where that, that was. Spe- that was whole, especially what uh, caught my eye, like the whole scene with Hopper or is it Hopper? Hopper or Hooper? Hooper. Hooper yeah. in the yeah. cage. Hooper drives the, the boat, chief. Let Hooper take a turn. Hooper drives the boat, Chief. Well, that's, you know, the story about that is they got that film, you know, when the shark kind of gets trapped in the cage. And, and it's he's like, like you know, you see his entire body just wrangle. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, in the book, Hooper dies. He, he gets killed in the cage. Yep. But they yep. basically restructured the story because they liked that video so much. Spielberg was like, we got to use that. So you, you're, you're going to escape from the cage. Yeah, oh, and nice. it was a miniature cage too. Yeah, with, yeah, with a little person in it. So yeah. It, yeah, it made perfect sense. And they, it's brilliant. And you can tell it's it's real footage. And they did a pretty decent job of editing back and forth. Yeah, to Mondo's point, for the time, this was like uh, unprecedented use of animatronics, open water, uh, moving, submersible. I mean, yeah, it's right. never been done before. So I, I did want to touch a little bit on Mondo. What was your first experience with the film? It took me forever to see this movie. Yeah, I'm like... All right, podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm 36, so yeah, I it was well popularized and everything into uh, pop culture when I was actually starting to, you know, engage in what was popular and see stuff on TV. So I was already familiar with all the Jaws stuff, like, before seeing the movie. It's the same way with like, The Exorcist or any... Name any popular, you know, 
like highly regarded film. Like I see so much of it that I'm just like, uh, I don't really feel like I need to see the whole movie now. But when I did, it wasn't until like early high school, maybe from beginning to end. I was like, all right, I'll sit down and watch it. And I was like, yeah, I'm afraid of the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's 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 a really good movie. Even watching it now, I forget that it's so long. It's uh, it's barely over two hours, but uh, I mean, it's good. Like the first half of the movie's sheriff with the beach dealing with you know the public, and then the last half of the movie's like three guys on a boat. So good. Okay. They each have their merits, and I really I really like revisiting this one. You guys are all on the Quint train, but uh, I think he's definitely the most interesting. But I think my I think my favorite's always Chief. Just because I think I always see Quint and Hooper on like two two ends of the spectrum as far as masculinity goes, and they and they know that, and that's why they just like butt heads throughout the whole film. And I feel like Chief's right in the middle. He's like the best of both worlds, and so I'm right. just like, he's cool. I like him, right? Yeah. Well, but I, I mean, I, I like all of them, but I just you know. Well, I mean, it's 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 kind of it's a little bit over the top and and direct, but it it doesn't get mentioned enough, at least not in my book. Clearly, Freudian, yeah, uh, this triumvirate, and it's also by design. It's it's imbalanced, unless you count the shark as the fourth. Uh, so yeah, it's it's got really cool psychological undertones and and themes. And what you guys brought up with the differences in the book and the stuff that he made it he made to the character the differences he made uh, brought to the film like it makes sense that's like such a steven spielberg thing to do like you know what let's <laughs> let's spielberg it up he probably even said that back then like, you know what? <laughs> it just seems like it some t- some people like it a lot of people like it i like it but some yeah. people don't i don't mind it i get the sense that maybe robert shaw read the book Oh, he, and he he said it was like absolutely trash. Like the, <laughs> he even had like ten or thirteen kids. He had like a lot of kids. Yeah, he did. and he took it for the paycheck. He was just like, I got to. And if you look at a lot of his movies, like pre and 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 post Jaws, like he did a lot of shitty movies. Yeah, well, I mean, after this, I think it was it directly drove him to agree to do the deep. Yeah. You think? Yeah, 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 which is awful. Oh god. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you're comparing like apples to oranges, yeah, at the very least. <laughs> I mean, he's watchable, but you know, the rest of it's kind of like, oh man. From the number one bestseller by the author of Jaws, this is the deep. It begins in Bermuda with the adventure and romance of an island vacation, a fantastic opportunity for two young lovers to get away from it all. Was it beginner's luck to discover a sunken wreck in less than 60 feet of water? Where'd you get this exactly? Was it coincidence that there were two treasures, one of priceless jewels, the other more valuable than that? You must be the young couple who found that bottle this afternoon. Certainly didn't look like anything. We didn't find any bottle. Excitement of treasure worth killing for. Pax, you're right. The dude has ten kids. Yeah, I know, right? It's, I, I, I feel his pain, man. Sometimes you got to. He died at fifty. He was fifty years old, and he had ten kids. I've been it, wasting my life. 
Dude, it's it, that's a great. There's a, a good documentary about him out on YouTube somewhere. But yeah, he died died a heart attack like side of the road, man. Just dropped dead. Yeah, oh. in Ireland with his apparently fifth wife or something. Oh, dude, in his estate, you'll see video of it. Like this house he owned out there, it, it, beautiful. Oh man, James, what about yes. you, man? What was your first Jaws experience? I've been telling you that I saw it when I was a little kid, but I'm. Maybe I actually saw Jaws 3 and 4, and that's what my reference point has been this entire time. Nice. So, like, whenever you'd bring up Jaws, like, I'd be like, yeah, it's okay. It's not really that. I mean, you know, it's okay. <laughs> and then after watching it, it was like Jaws 4. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think, I mean, my first real experience would have been yesterday when I watched it all the way from start to finish. Uh, I, oh, wow. I know I saw it when I was really, really small, but I don't remember anything from it whatsoever. So, yeah, I, I guess t- yesterday would have been the, the first real experience with it. I, I enjoyed it. I think that I would have enjoyed it much better if I would have seen it back in the 70s when it came out because it's been spoofed to no end at this point. Right. You know, it's just yeah, and it's been ripped point, on man. so much. Uh, some of the serious moments don't hit like they should because I've seen so many crappy renditions of it at this point. I really enjoyed it, but I don't want to get into too many specifics unless... Yeah, we're just roll with it. I was going to say, yeah. like, it opens with the <laughs> lovely and shapely... By the way, that... The actress who played uh, Chrissy Watkins. Susan Backlone. Thank you, sir. Something like that. Yes. Clearly, the first cast because of because of her outstanding acting ability. (laughs) I'm in a note where 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 the boobies in a PG movie. That's that's the note I made. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. She runs. She uh, is flirting with a boy at a at a beach party and runs free spirit. Runs stripping her clothes off down to the water. Beautiful sandy beach under the gorgeous moonlit sky and he flops down on the beach unable to undress himself because he's so inebriated she enjoys her swim until something happens i don't even know how to describe what happens one of you guys describe what happens because it's it's pretty jarring well the, 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 the shark was tickling her toes that's what happened <laughs> you guys have you, you have you read like how they did that like the how they got that motion from her they had her like in a harness, right? It was uh, like a cutoff pair of Levi's, but these guys on shore had ropes, and they were just like jerking her in all these different directions. Like I, I, I think it, it, they ended up screwing up her back. Yeah, um, right. they were jerking her around so badly. Yeah, yeah, she is violently thrust to and fro, and screaming for her life till she finally is pulled under, while her inebriated would-be paramour belches on the surf. Terrifying scene, though. Oh, oh man! Just, just, it's like sobers you up, like in what, yeah. It's what the opening of the off film, of, like yeah. Yep. What a way yeah. to open a film! Like he was and doing, he was anything. doing Drew Barrymore types <clears throat> of scream deaths before any of anything. Right. It's like way back then. Man. You're right, man. It's it's like if you're not into it when you go, you, you probably perked right up in your in your theater seat and said, "What what am I in for here?" Because right. also, just as point of fact, you, you don't see the fish not once. Right. 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 In that in that scene, and you're you're left to your own devices to wonder what's happening to this poor girl.
Cut to the next day, we we are we see Chief Brody, who's a transplant from the mainland. They've already set him up as like sort of the hero who's trying to conquer his environment. He's afraid of the water. He doesn't know how to swim. He shouts at his kids for being in a boat because he's terrified of the water and, and what's in it. He finds out about the accident and uh, is told by the, by the medical examiner that it's a shark attack. So he goes to close the beaches and pretty soon he basically runs into the, the cold hard fact that that will cripple the economy of the island that he now lives on. And he's basically countered by all the island folks and the mayor. Martin, you, you going to shut down the beaches on your own authority? Well, what other authority do I need? Well, technically, you need a civic ordinance or a resolution by a board of selectors. That's just going by the book. We're really a little anxious that you're, uh, you're rushing into something serious here. It's your first summer, you know. What does that mean? I'm only trying to say that Amity is a summer town. We need summer dollars. If people can't swim here, they'll be glad to swim at the beaches of Cape Cod, the Hamptons, Long Island. That doesn't mean we have to serve them up a smorgasbord. We never had that kind of trouble in these waters. Well, what else could have done that to that girl? Boat for belly? Well, I think uh, possibly, uh, yes, a boating That's accident. That's not what you told accident. me over the phone. I was wrong. We'll have to amend our reports. And you'll stand by I'll that? I'll stand by you. Uh, a summer girl goes swimming. Swims out a little far. She tires. Fishing boat comes along. It's happened before. I don't think you appreciate the gut reaction people have to these things. Harry, I appreciate it. I'm just reacting to what I was told. Martin, it's all psychological. You yell barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Who wants to tackle the the actor and the performance of the mayor? Oh, man. Buried in North Carolina. I have actually been to his grave, believe it or not. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Washington. Washington, uh, North Carolina. Uh, ironically enough, out on, the, out on the coast. That coat, man, is all I can say about it. <laughs> I have a note right here. I said, this dude's um, suit has anchors on it. LOL. You guys, you guys, you, you guys are going to laugh. For, for 25 years, I've been trying to find that pattern somewhere. I've I've looked like everywhere. There's knockoffs, but you can't you can't find one that's like quite quite the same. Uh, Murray Hamilton, like rest in peace. What yeah. a what a what Pax, a great. Where would uh, you where would you wear said suit? I'm just curious. Would you like wear it to work? The gym, grocery um, <laughs> store. Like you, you, I would I would I, if I could find it, I'd have like multiples made and I would wear it at all times. Yeah, that thing is just incredible it is pretty boss and i love that it's gotten like a a, a second a second life with the memes of uh you know with the coronavirus the beaches will be open by easter i i love seeing him you're right he's making murray hamilton making the major comeback oh now i don't mean to derail you guys but like look into it like it's it's just a tragic tragic story about like jaws 2 filming and you know he's not in it very much right Uh, not to jump onto jaws 2 but apparently, like, his wife was dying of cancer, 
Aww. And they and they kind of like cut it short. They were like, you know, do you know, uh, do the scenes and any I think film for a couple of days and, and like booked it to you know be with his wife. But by all accounts, like a great guy. But there's an awesome story about him where apparently he was a drinker. Like he and Shaw were both alcoholics basically. But he was you know walking back from whatever bar it was up on Martha's Vineyard, and he got skunked like a skunk hit him. <laughs> Oh. And he and he oh. went back to the hotel and fell asleep in the lobby and like it was it was this whole big ordeal of like tr- trying to get it off of him, but but yeah it's it's he 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 sounds like a trip but <laughs> gr- second second favorite character to me reminds yeah. me of, of some people I work with I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to mention who but yeah he's a great actor he played uh, I don't know if you guys remember he played the uh, one of the car uh, the cardinal I think it was in um, Amityville Horror yep. Yep, that's right. And mm-hmm. uh and just nailed it. He had like a very short scene and uh he just bossed it out. He's like just laid the hammer down and you can yeah. almost hear him in his head like I'm Murray Hamilton. Right. You listen to me. Right. Uh, apparently a very accomplished stage actor too. A lot of stage experience. Yeah. Gr- great head of hair too. No doubt. Good looking dude. So the uh Chrissy's killed. They uh, the chief is trying to close the beaches while he's attempting to do so. Beaches remain open, and unfortunately, there's another casualty. This is our first glimpse of the shark, but it's you can barely see it or tell what's going on. Um, the little boy paddling out on a uh, on a raft. There's really cool camera work, cinematography underwater uh, from the shark's perspective, which apparently was Spielberg trick after the fact because he had intended to show the big shark animatronic animal which was constantly malfunctioning and or he didn't think it looked realistic or both, one or the other. And so he had to sort of improvise. Improvisation was pretty tactically excellent. What did you guys think of that? Have you guys seen the cut scene of it? Like the, So it was, it was actually trimmed back because it was too terrifying. That was the first time you were going to see the shark. And he, it just mauls this kid. Like the, the whole head kind of comes out and like this kid's flopping and flailing in its mouth. It's, it's pretty gruesome. I'm going to have to watch that because, uh, yeah, even though you don't see the shark, you do see like a gush of blood. It stands out. Oh, you're looking out into the water and you see these people in the blue, clear water. And then you just right. see a gush of red and the little boy just kind of flop. Right. And uh, right. It, it, it's like, it's shocking. It's, but I'm with, I'm with Jay. I think that's better. I think it, it makes for a better scene than actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, I just, yeah, for curiosity's sake, I'm, just, I'm not saying I wish it was in the movie, but yeah, yeah, yeah I sure yeah, want to yeah, watch it. Check it out. It's 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 all over YouTube, but it's uh, it's pretty gruesome. Pip it, pip it, pip it, come on, pip it, come on, pip it, pip it.
you guys no, see? I, um, did yeah. you guys see the little? I saw a little tidbit. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm gonna have to uh, look it up. But uh, apparently, the actor that played the little boy and the actress that played his mother like recently reconnected. Yeah, I heard act. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like purely by accident, it. and uh, I think the it was like he owns a restaurant, and she happened to like eat at the restaurant, and she was uh, <laughs> asking about a dish that was named like after his character from the Jaws movie, and she's yeah, a little like, hey. boy. She's like, I played his mom in the movie. He's like, No shit, that's me. I was the movie. I was in the movie. <laughs> not to, <laughs> so not was to, I. Not to jump ahead, but have you you guys ever heard the story about like when you know when she she slaps Chief? Like, no, no, I haven't heard it. Like, it, it, it looks real, though, I must say. Oh, that was a great story. Great she story. wasn't, no. she's not an actor. And, and um, like, apparently she was slapping the shit out of him. Ooh, and yeah. he was he was getting pissed. <laughs> she, they kept trying to, like, explain to her, like, no, you know, in, in movies you don't actually slap. But, like, a, a bunch of times. But, she's like, a method. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And see that thing cut open, and see that little Kentner boy spill out all over the dock. Chief Brody? Yes? I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. <laughs> you knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. <laughs> you knew all those things. But still, my boy is dead now. And there's nothing you can do about it. My boy is dead. I wanted you to know that. So one thing you, no one's brought up yet, and I'm kind of shocked, is uh, John Williams' score. Like, oh, I was, yeah. I was yeah. three minutes into the movie, and I already had made two notes about the music. And I mean, of course, it's iconic. I guess it, maybe that's why no one's brought it up yet. If you just sit there and really listen to it, it does a lot of the heavy lifting in this movie. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to take anything away from any other part of the movie. The score does a lot of work, and it's so fucking great. Well, I think uh, I mean, scores in general kind of... I say scores in general tend to get uh, overlooked a lot, because I, I right. love that... These videos have been coming out where they just like say, hey, check out this scene without the score and how different it is. And it's like, right. it's so terrible. Right. No, yeah, you know, thanks that, for bringing that, it up. That just goes also to show you, you know, when it's not noticed, it's almost even better. It's doing the work, but it's doing the work below the surface. It's really putting you on edge without you being aware that you're being put on edge. There's no visuals there to like remind you visually, but it's still working at you, you know, just a little bit under the surface. Uh if, I think it's a, it's an amazing score. Yeah. If I if I hear those notes, man, I'm getting out of the water. I know that. But, <laughs> that you know, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but you know, uh, uh, Spielberg like literally laughed at Williams when he presented it to him for the first time. Williams I got think I like, read really, that. 
really pissed about it too. He was like, who, who are you to, I've, I've got all these, all these chops. Like, but then he, I guess he, he kind of warmed up to it. Well, it's funny though. If you think about it, it, it literally in music, it's a half step. Right. Up and up and back. Yeah. That's it. Right. Musically, it is so simplistic, but I think maybe I'm looking too far into it, but I sort of think that so basic and so primal that it sort of ties into the primal fear of being devoured. It's the simplest music and the simplest fear. I think that's why they're so effective. That's my opinion about it. Shout out to Mondo for that uh, nice reissue they put out on vinyl. Really good. So the kid gets, (laughs) the kid buys it. I would love to see the, the, uh, the deleted scene. Uh, even though don't it for, was crazy effective and great. And the then, dog. right, yeah, he, he, that's a really good point. He leads up to it with, with just, and, and that, that, they don't even show that. So there's a, there's a fellow playing fetch with his dog, Pippet. He throws a stick out and the dog brings it back a couple of times. And then they sort of, it, it's very, you're right, Pax, it's very clever. They just sort of show the gentleman sort of calling his dog's name, looking around concerned. And then they cut to a very brief shot of the stick floating on the water. And that's all you see. No blood. No dog, no shark, nothing else. Little appetizer. Prior to the kid going down, which is pretty horrific by itself. So at this point, there's a town meeting held and uh, everybody meets there. And there's still some resistance to close the town and the beach. And But this is where we're introduced to the outstanding character of Quint, who we were talking prior to the broadcast was was actually based on a local island fisherman and personality by the name of uh, Craig Kingsbury. And Craig Kingsbury actually is uh, in the film. Did you guys know this? Did you know he's actually plays a role? No. Yeah. He, he, plays, he plays the role of Ben Gardner. The first time you see him is when he actually helps. He must be a pretty tall fella or was a tall fella. He actually, the first time you see him is when he helps Hooper up, played by Richard Dreyfuss, out of a uh, boat. And he looks right at him and he says, hello there, young feller. How are you? Uh, there we get the pirate tone. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and he's the actual inspiration for the character of Quint, which is kind of cool. How long did the, was he in the book then, right? So obviously he was, but how, where's the, what year did the book come out? I think it was, was it 73? Hold on. They must have optioned the film really quick because the film was out in almost no time. Somebody must have recognized pretty early on, maybe it was Spielberg, that this was, this had potential. Dick Zanuck and, and David Brown. They and they, I think they were just coming off of doing a bunch of those disaster movies, you know, where the earthquake and the towering inferno and, and that kind of stuff. One tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense as the world's tallest building becomes the towering inferno. Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, William Holden, Faye Dunaway, Fred Astaire. Susan Blakely, Richard Chamberlain, Jennifer Jones, O.J. Simpson, Robert Vaughn, and Robert Wagner. Irwin Allen's production of The Towering Inferno. See it for Christmas at a theater near you. Rated PG. But, but yeah, they're, they're pretty famous Hollywood guys for being able to you know, identify it. And again, this, this um, Inside Jaws podcast, if you guys are into it, kind of goes into it in a, in a lot more detail. But I think they, they dealt with Hitchcock some, too. But yeah, you're right. They did. They, they picked it up. I want to say like maybe a year. Yeah, I'm looking here. The book came out in 74. The movie came out in like 75. 75. Yeah. yeah. So they were all over it. Quick turnaround. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was a big fight for it too. Like it, it cost some scratch back in the day. And he also, the writer of the book, also like co-wrote the screenplay or something too. So 
Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he was definitely, he probably, yeah, he was probably looking to get it made into a film. Yeah. They, uh, he plays a cameo. The newscaster. Yeah. yeah. And actually does pretty well. I mean, for not being a, an actor, even remotely, come to think of it. So he plays the newscaster talking about the prior shark attacks on the island. A lot of the uh, extras and, and some of the roles in the film, in addition to the Mrs. Kittrick and Ben Gardner, were played by uh, locals, Martha Vineyard regulars. Right. Which I thought was kind of cool, made it more authentic. So we meet, we meet Quint in the back, and he's the local rogue fisherman, shall we say. Tells him, uh, I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. Too many captains on the island. $10,000 for me, myself. <laughs> For that, you get the head, tail, whole damn thing. You all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. It's bad fish. Not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy cots. This shark swallow you whole. Shaking, tenderizing, down you go. And we gotta do it quick. That'll bring back the tourists. That'll put all your businesses on a paying basis. But it's not gonna be pleasant. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. I'll find him for three. But I'll catch him and kill him for ten. You gotta make up your minds. You wanna stay alive and ante up? You wanna play it cheap? Be on welfare the whole winter. I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's too many captains on this island. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Thank you very much, Mr. Quint. We'll, uh, we'll take it under advisement. Mr. Mayor, Chief, ladies and gentlemen. And, and, and what's with his sidekick in the poodles is what I never, I never got. <laughs> like, that, that guy owns poodles? Well, I thought it was the sidekick's poodles, to be fair. Well, oh, yeah, 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 that could be. But, but you're uh, right. Is that the harbor master or who is that? I, I, they never really name the guy. Like it's it's there's a there's there is like a cut scene I've seen where he's basically telling Quint like you you go out there with these guys on your own. I'm, yeah, <laughs> you're gonna die. And he was right. He and yeah. the poodle inherited uh, everything. So uh, so he feels so uh, Brody uh, the mainlander transplant mainlander uh, the transplant. I don't know. Well, he's been he's been transplanted to the island. Yeah, well, yeah, that was one thing I was wondering because yeah, he they established that he doesn't like water, and they also treat him like an outsider. He's just there. Is he just there temporarily, or they just move there? Well, he 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 came from the uh, he was a New York City detective, which I'd love to see that prequel. Prequel. Um, apparently, like uh, in in the book, his his wife thinks his job's too dangerous and and like wants him to get out of New York City. Yeah. And, and, that's how he gets the job. You know, there's the I don't I hate to jump ahead, but I just want to bring it up. They don't really allude to much outside of their lives 
aside from what they're dealing with in the film. But with uh, with Brody, that scene later on where they're uh, Hooper and Quentin are comparing scars. This is just one of the little little character niches that I, I that makes me like Brody more. But he doesn't participate. But they clearly show him looking at a bullet wound that he has in his side. Yes, sir. And yes, sir. Uh, he looks at it and he's like thinking about joining, but he's like, no. Either you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't join in. But, but nonetheless, more than enough to like, man, I, yeah, I want to see that prequel too. You know, I want to well, see him be a detective. Detective in New York, like he's he's not a chump. No, you get the idea that he's uh, pardon the expression, he's a fish out of water, right? Right. He jerks um, up, he jerks up the mayor later on without a whole lot of Chinese papers. <laughs> Well, so the town offers this bounty, $3,000 bounty on the shark. Quint wants 10 They don't pony up. So a bunch of local fishermen and fishermen from out of state show up, and they do catch a large predator, a tiger shark. I can tell you from experience, these are can be aggressive animals, and it's a big one. It probably looks like a 12, maybe 13-footer. They hang them up on the dock, and the mayor says, Amity, as you know, means friendship, and reopens the beaches. Kittner widow shows up and, like we talked about before, beats the hell out of Brody, <laughs> slaps him right across the face. He goes home and, in a really cool scene, gets plastered, but also has a really tender moment with his son. This is probably, you know, this is Isn't one of my great? favorite movies. That's, a, that's my favorite part of the movie right there. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Where he's, he's sort of rubbing his face and, and there's sort of this parallel where the kid is just sort of playing monkey and mimic, mimicking what his dad does. And he recognizes it and has a little tender moment where they mimic each other. And then he leans in and says, give us a kiss. And the kid says, why? Because I need it. And it's just, it's human. It, it, it just humanizes the whole, it, the whole it moment. It makes it so you can connect better to the character of Brody. Like, you can, right. you know, that, that's a real moment. You know, that's a real moment that a father would have with their son. And the son would be like, well, why? You know, that's what makes it easier for you to connect with him, I think. Yeah. I do like that scene. good and they reused it in Jaws 4. Like the only watchable part <laughs> of Jaws 4. <laughs> the one carryover that worked. Yeah, right. And the original shark uh, animatronics. No, I'm just kidding. So he's getting drunk and feeling sorry for himself when Hooper shows up and says, you know, that's, that doesn't match the bite radius on the victim. He, he has serious doubts as to whether a tiger shark could have inflicted that kind of damage. So he can, the two drunk fellows convince each other they're going to go down to the harbor and Cut the shark open and see what comes out, which is also a pretty cool scene. Louisiana tags, man. Yeah, that, that shark's made some uh, made some traction. Yeah, yeah. Well, where's uh, where's Amity Amity Island again? Up, up in New England. I'm trying to remember. It's it's where Martha's Vineyard is, Massachusetts, I think. It's Massachusetts, and they 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 never just tell you where it's located, but they 
they don't mention Martha's Vineyard. They they yeah. mention everybody, every place else. They said Long Island and Cape Cod and elsewhere. So they they kind of imply its location. I don't know if you guys noticed this. It's kind of something I picked up on repeated watches. So there's a scene we skipped where these two uh, fellas are going to go get the bounty for oh, themselves. Yeah, yeah. One of the, I think Charlie is one of their names, and the other one I don't know. And they basically go out to a jetty, and they. One of them's complaining about how they had to steal his wife's roast from the from the freezer. <laughs> you know, she's gonna have my hide for this. They they basically hook it and throw it out on a chain like some kind of half-assed fishing maneuver. I've never seen anything quite like that. But yeah, pretty pretty soon uh, something takes the bait and basically tears the dock apart. I think the implication was that this is the predator that took the prior two victims. But I, I don't know if you guys. Notice this when they when they cut the tiger shark's stomach open, they pull that roast out. Did you guys oh, ever see that? I didn't. I didn't notice that. So that's what I think it's the second or third thing they pull out of that that shark's uh, belly. So I'm thinking, oh, that's some misdirection, Mr. Spielberg. Nicely done. Dart in the elementary canal. Open the digestive tract. Problem than that, Morton. You still got a hell of a fish out there with a mouth about this big. How do we confirm that by morning? If he is a rogue and there's any truth to territoriality at all, we've got a good chance of spotting him between Cape Scott and South Beach. Where are you going? We've got to find him right now. He's a night feeder. On the water? Well, if we're looking for a shark, we're not going to find him on the land. Yeah, but I'm not drunk enough to go out in a boat. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You can't do that. Yes, you can. Funny funny story about that jetty. You know who was on the team that built, built that? He just happened to be visiting the set. A young John Landis. Oh, wow. Oh, no yeah. kidding. Yeah, Spiel, he came to visit the set and Spielberg put him to work. Well, that's, that's an auspicious debut. Yeah, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's pre or post. That's probably pre Animal House, I guess. Yeah, yeah, by by about a couple years anyway. Yeah, it was definitely pre Twilight Zone the movie, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah no yeah, doubt. Yeah, yeah pre American Werewolf in London. He must have been. Uh, I can imagine him like putting that on his resume. Look, I am the dude who built the jetty <laughs> for Jaws. Right. Hire me. Right. I'm, I'm good. Talk to my buddy Stevesy. Him and Harrison Ford doing carpentry work. So they realize. This ain't the shark that ate the kid. Cooper somehow convinces Brody they're going to go out on the boat and try and find him because they, they decided he's a night feeder, which never really made any sense to me. Chrissy died at night, but the boy died in 
broad daylight. So I'm not quite sure how they decide how Hooper decided he was a night feeder. Did anybody? Right. Yeah, just sort of one of those non sequiturs. Well, they also point out later on that he's a hobbyist in the sharks, right? Oh, where'd you go to school, or or who paid for this equipment? And he's just like, oh, I just did it. Yeah. Well, he's. I think he's a pro. He's from the Oceanographic Institute, but his family is apparently pretty wealthy, uh-huh. which kind of begs the question why he's wearing the Canadian tuxedo like at all times. <laughs> you know, going incognito. It's like you can afford everything, but like you wear your jean jacket and your jeans. I don't know, man. Trying to stay under the radar. A Canadian story. Apparently, when they were filming this thing, Shaw would make a run to Canada whenever they weren't filming because he was like ducking taxes from the IRS and and British taxes were apparently coming after him too. So he'd go up there and hide anytime they weren't filming and then come back down. It was pretty, you know, pretty close, pretty quick flight up to, up to Canada. But everything I hear about Robert Shaw is just great. Yeah. So much character, man. His code would be like, uh, here's this woman with bow legged women. Hey chief. You try this. Made it myself. Pretty good stuff. <laughs> Thanks. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. Excuse me, Chief. They don't find the shark, but they do find a hull of a ship, which is basically going to chewed apart. Cooper teases out an upside-down shark tooth that you have to kind of suspend disbelief as to how it exactly got in the hull in reverse. <laughs> Talking about this before we started recording, does James, you want to talk about uh, what happens next? It's like yeah, it's, it's one of the to... shockers from the from the film, and we were trying to figure out how exact what it meant and how it happened. You're talking That's about the eye. I guess it was one of the previous people that went out to look for the shark, and yeah, the whole head just kind of pops out at him, right? Yeah, the aforementioned Ben Gardner, played by uh, right. Craig. Kingsbury head with an eye with a missing eye pops through the hole in the hall. figure out like what did the shark just bite his eye out and how did the shark do it when he was below deck that's one of the things that never made sense to me about the film it's a scary moment and i understand why then hooper drops the tooth well but did, what happened to ben Gardner? Well, i was like you didn't see the rest of his body though right or did you no they didn't make it clear whether it was just his head i don't think it was i mean it, it, at the very least it was his upper torso and head no it was just it was just the head yeah with like the optic nerves kind of hanging out from the from the eye shot i was just like the the shark ate I mean, the could it have been the left the head and fish probably right. ate the eye out what was underwater i suspect a land shark <laughs> could it well, have been the you... pressure from the bite like the pressure from the bite severing the head like it popped I've, the eye out i've never seen I, anything I like that but I can tell you that a cookie cutter shark but, could make but, that kind of an injury. Just saying. It, it was effective. We, we no are doubt. in agreement there. 
I mean, really, with filmmaking, I think that's all you have to go for. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be real. I mean, you know. Well, yeah. what happened was some piranhas from a nearby movie production swam away <laughs> right. and right. attacked this man's eye. James Cameron was yeah. like, "Oh, oh, I got an idea. <laughs> Piranha 3D. Let's go." They decide. The two of those gentlemen decide. Okay, shark ate the boat. Shark killed Ben. We have to close the beaches. The hell is wrong with you, Mr. Mayor? Who then um, continues to refuse to listen. He says it's almost the 4th of July. This is how we make our living. The beaches will be open. Do whatever you have to do to make them safe. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. <laughs> Larry, Larry, if we make an effort today, we might be able to save August. August? For Christ's sake, tomorrow's the 4th of July, and we will be open for business. It's going to be one of the best summers we've ever had. Now, if you fellas are concerned about the beaches, you do whatever you have to to make them safe. But those beaches will be open for this weekend. Is this where the, is this where the actual trope started, where if we don't throw the party, or if we don't have this big bent entire uh, town is going to fold under the pressure of the, the lack of funds. Like well, that's a trope now, especially in shark movies. Because in the book, you know, there's the, the whole backstory about the mayor is the mob's on his ass because they're, they're trying to make money from the town. Oh, okay. They put all this money into real estate. And they're basically like, keep the town, you, you keep the beach open. I don't care who gets it. We got to make our money. Did I miss that? Did I miss that in the movie? That wasn't like alluded to it at all. Oh, right? no, no. It, it, no, no they skipped that not in the film. It was definitely yeah, a, a, a point in the novel. Yeah, and it was very, you know, it was much more nefarious and dark. Yeah, yeah. In, in the right. novel, no doubt. So folks show up to the beach, but they don't go swimming. And the mayor says to one of the locals, "It's a beautiful day. Please get in the water." So he basically <laughs> pushes this whole family <laughs> and their raft into the water. Now, to be fair, Brody and Hooper have surrounded the beach with a platoon of small boats that are doing some shark spotting. But despite their best efforts, a dorsal fin appears amongst the swimmers. Turns out to be interesting, shall we say, an interesting diversion. By so I, I did want to mention one thing, and I, I could be wrong, but I love how Spielberg uses a frame when talk about social he's showing like the water is taking up half the frame, and then it goes to completely filling it like the entire frame. And these quick yeah. cuts when he's kind of going, like, I feel like that's been used in a similar fashion in movies before. Maybe not before that, but usually. It doesn't take up the. I, I don't feel like it ever takes up the entire frame unless someone's like about to drown or they are drowning. It's from the perspective of the individual drowning. This is supposed to be from the perspective I assumed of the shark, and I just I just thought that was a really interesting way of of doing that and the way it was shown. And it was really quick cuts. I mean, like if you don't pause it or if you haven't seen it a bunch of times, I doubt you'd even notice it. Yeah. But the way he does it, 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 was, it was. I thought it was really clever. It was really well done. Yeah, and it, you're you're right. It was very effective, I thought, and it also was foreshadowed, right? What we right, learn right. is that these cuts are from the perspective of these two 12- and a 10-year-old boy who were playing a hoax. But by the same token, he faked us out pretty well because he's done this before from the actual perspective of the shark. Instead, he's now showing us the perspective of these hoaxers. Misdirection again. Yes. 
these pull these kids out of the water with a cardboard fin that they've terrorized the beach and the beach has evacuated the water. And while they're doing that, a very lovely young artist on the other side of the pier points to, to the estuary. Yep, to the outlet <laughs> of the pond, to the inland pond, of which uh, Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket and those of the southern Massachusetts islands have plenty of. You know what's interesting about this, guys? I always come back to, I'm, I think it was, was it in Woods Hole? There was this great, I should have sent this video to you guys earlier, but but there was life imitating art. There was an actual pond, much like that one, but smaller and shallower, in which a 12-foot great white shark got stuck oh, after, after uh, low tide. And there's, there's video of this. Uh, and it's just like if you were to go down in your backyard and you had a pond, and there was literally a huge shark circling in the pond. The shark didn't get aggressive with anyone. I don't remember what year it was. And eventually the tide came back up and the shark was able to escape. So thankfully the fish was able to live. As much as people think, oh, well, that shark would never go in through that estuary. That's just, that's not realistic. We, we have real life proof otherwise. Well, you know, the whole basis of the book is on those Jersey Shore shark attacks in 1916. There was a bull shark that went way up Matwan Bay in New Jersey. And I think it killed like five people before it went back out. And they, they never figured out like what kind of shark it was. I think they were pretty sure it was a bull shark vacillate their, their water intake between salt and, I know you know, Jay, and, and, and fresh water and get up there. They never caught it, but it, it ended up killing, I want to say it killed people and four people and like took one guy's leg off. And that was the kind of whole basis for it. And then and there was, they say there was another shark like actually out on the shore that attacked like a bunch more people. But yeah, that was the, that was the whole jumping off point for, for basically the right jaws in the first place. Yeah, I mean, not to contribute to mass panic, but you're right. Bull sharks can exist in open ocean, can exist in brackish, and can exist in fresh water. In fact, there's a whole family of massive number of bull sharks that exist in solely in fresh water in Lake Nicaragua. And they really have no passage, if you will, to the ocean. And the concept is that over geological and evolutionary changes, that it, it once was connected with some kind of an estuary to the Pacific Ocean, and that has, over the course of time, is closed off. Every year, people are attacked in Lake Nicaragua, which is a freshwater lake. That a legit story that both, like a bull shark made its way up in the Great Lakes, or is that Mythbusters? The, the Great Lakes, I, 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 well, never say never, but that, that is a hell of a long way for a fish. That's like what that I thought. Go. I've heard that story, and I was like, I, I never investigated it. But. Uh, and they'd probably have to make their way through the locks, as opposed to going over Niagara Falls. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> it would be a hell of a way to go for a meal. But, you know, I, I don't know, man. Never say never. I've never encountered one of my open water swimming there, so thank goodness. I, I swam Alcatraz twice. Oh, wow. When I lived out. I'm near the Fairlands? Uh, no, Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, to the mainland. Yeah, it, it's, not a, it's not a really long swim, but it's choppy and dark and pretty cold. I did it under the assumption at the time that sharks don't enter the bay. I had somehow convinced myself that sharks don't enter San Francisco Bay. I have since learned that I was not accurate <laughs> <laughs> and that I was could have potentially been in jeopardy. Well, see, that's my thing with this movie in general, like, I'm not familiar with sharks. I don't go to beaches that often or enough to really say I know anything about anything there. You shark enthusiasts, you can tell me, well, sharks don't behave that way. You know, sharks don't. 
what these movies represent are basically what-if scenarios. That's what all these seminal horror films usually are. Like, well, what if this shark just got pissed and wanted to eat whatever it could? And then when someone told it no, he was, I'll show you. And he chased a boat and took it down. I don't care if it's real or not. Yes, it does have an effect. I'm semi-scared of sharks. Even if they were nice, I'd still be afraid of them, even if I do. I mean, I have plenty of shark experts out there just saying, hey, don't bother them. They won't bother you. I was like, well, good. I'm not going to bother them. So. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's exactly. a good point, man. The chances are very low that you would get attacked. And, yeah. and frankly, the, 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 the take-home message would be that, in general, sharks are not interested in people as food source. I mean, if you think about it, a scuba diver looks like a burpee, like a, a skinny, rather, burpee seal, like an awkward animal. A shark is interested just because of the curiosity, not so much like, well, that smells like lunch. But I hear what you're saying. Like, you just take any situation. This is what horror films do, and they do it well. And, and uh, movies like Jaws do it the best, where you take, like, a known potential threat and then, like you said, turn it into a what-if and make a fictional film threat. Well, my, my always thought about it was we walk around, and, and we're, we're the apex predator, right? Like, there's nothing really that, other than you know, certain situations that eats us. But then you go into a situation where there's more water than there is land. And there's there's a lot of bigger and badder shit out there that we just can't compete with when we decide to take a swim. Yeah, well, undoubtedly. So the truck actually goes into the estuary, attacks a man who's trying to help his son and some other fellow little kids get the sailboat going, kills him, and then uh, swims back out again, almost immediately traumatizing the boy. Michael's in the pond. Hurry up, get that done. You can't do a damn thing if you get that rope. Get this undone. Get that untangled up there. I'm doing it. Hey, fellas, fellas, all in this sheet, make it fast. Guys, you guys okay over there? At which point Brody takes this ultimately personally, convinces the mayor at the hospital, we have to hire Quint to kill the shark. Quint struggles with Hooper and the chief about taking them aboard, but they convince him. And they set off in his ship, the Orca, to hunt a shark and to kill it and to stop the terrorization of Vamity Island. I'm not sure if we've, if we've went past this part yet, but there's one shot on the boat where Spielberg has the camera push through like the shark's skull and jaws. And oh, I think that yeah. shot is amazing. <laughs> uh, I love that shot, not just because it's a cool shot, but also it's like very foreboding of what's coming, you know? Exactly. I don't know. I, I just, I, I really loved it. 
And then my very next comment was, how many times does Quint say Jesus H. Christ? I, I, I think I counted like 80 times. <laughs> they definitely had him swear like a sailor. I thought it was great. I mean, it was outstanding. My, my favorite part is, uh, what are you, some kind of half-assed astronaut? You're right. So Hooper brings down air tanks and shark cage and so forth, and he... Quint is immediately dismissive. He's like, what the hell is that, a monkey cage? What are you doing over there? Jesus H. Christ. When I was a boy, every little squirt wanted to be a harpooner or a sword fisherman. And he got here. Portable shot or a monkey cage? Anti-shark cage. Anti-shark cage. You go inside the cage. Cage goes in the water. You go in the water. Sharks in the water. Our shark. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu to you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. <laughs> So the, apparently the, the actors did not get along on set. Knowing what we know of Robert Shaw, I'm not convinced that he didn't fabricate that dislike for the performance. I'm not either. Gadgets was young, so I, I didn't, and he's a great actor too, but I, I wouldn't give him that credit with to no fabricate that kind of an, animosity. With no stage experience, I think, was the, the thing that, that pissed both he and um, Scheider. They both had... Uh, stage experience and, and he, he didn't have any at all apparently that was a, that was a big sticking point no it's interesting to jump ahead to when um I, i'm trying to remember I, I i saw i can't remember what richard dreyfus was giving a, a, a he was in front of people giving a speech of some kind and it was right after robert shaw had passed or soon thereafter he started talking about his family and and kind of choked up he was on a talk show in england and shaw's granddaughter was in the audience and yeah you're right you're right this this video of it of the the whole thing but but you you could tell he admired the i mean gee, yeah i mean man in the glass booth like shaw was he wasn't just an actor he was a playwright a very famous play books multiple books a promethean character i was gonna say his respect was palpable in that moment richard Dreyfus' respect for for robert shaw was pretty cool what were you gonna say james uh, i was Reading trivia and kind of piggybacking on both of what you said, it says, though respected as an actor, Robert Shaw's trouble with alcohol was a frequent source of tension during filming. In later interviews, Roy Schneider described his co-star as a perfect gentleman whenever he was sober. All he was one drink, and then he'd do a competitive son of a bitch. That was a quote. When we get to the Indianapolis speech, I'll, I'll tell you a good one. Well, yeah, I was just going to freeform it here till the end of the movie, because basically what happens is there's a cool triumvirate of the captain and, and the chief. Uh, well, Captain Quint and uh, Chief Brody and, and Matt Hooper, and they all have their own expertise and their own approach to hunting this monstrous fish. Several events that they have sightings, they shoot a harpoon barrel onto the fish to bring it to the surface, uh, chum the water. The uh, It's interesting. The one thing I noticed today was that Brody was, he's trying to, he keeps trying and failing to tie the simplest nautical knot. It's a bowline. He keeps trying to tie a bowline of all knots. I, I, was, I thought it was something super complex until I, until I actually listened to the Quint character describing the knot. And uh, the bowline is the simplest of, naval, of ship knots, and the chief cannot get it right. And he keeps trying and trying and trying. 
eventually gets the knot, but right as he gets it, they hook what is presumably the big shark. And shark sort of runs with the line and eventually slides through it. And there's an argument as to whether that was the actual shark or not. But later that night, film scene for all times, where they all meet in the galley and start talking about their various scars. I take it back. Like that's This is my favorite scene, I think. 1,100 men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13 footer. You know, you know that when you're in the water, chief, you tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. Very first light, chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. Kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he starts pounding and hollering and screaming, sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then... Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red and in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. And apparently, so the the story, like we said, I think we established like Robert Shaw was an active alcoholic. Apparently, he, the first time he gave the speech, he was so drunk, he had to be carried off the set. Somehow he talked Spielberg into like giving him a couple drinks beforehand to kind of warm him up. Apologized, called Spielberg, so sorry. Nailed it in like one take, that whole thing. And he wrote that. Well, I, I should I should take that back. It was written a couple times. Carl Gottlieb, who was kind of the, the guy who rewrote the right that Benchley did, it ended up being like, you know, the majority of it. For the most part, the word on the streets is that, that Shaw almost wrote the entirety of that speech, which it should. I had read, right. And I, I had read that there was a disagreement between the screenwriters, uh, Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Yeah. They, could, they couldn't agree on what it should be. And then Shaw had come back with, you know, his rewrite of it, essentially. And they were like, yeah, oh, this actually does everything we were trying to do and uh, maybe better. Man, would I love to see that prequel? Yeah. That was, you know, that was the one they were originally going to try to make. Was a story oh, really? in Indianapolis, yeah. Pre Spielberg's ability to shoot World War II movies, they they couldn't sell it. I think someone made that with Nicolas Cage. Oh God! <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, it's a Nick I, Cage movie. Yeah. You got that right. I haven't I haven't watched. Hey, listen, guys, I love Nick Cage, but I I, I mean I love Nick Cage, but oh, he's not I, I don't know if that's the I don't. But that may not be the movie I want to watch him in. If, if Tell, I'm being honest with you, <laughs> Color Out of Space, great. Nick Cage on the Indianapolis. Mm. Right, <laughs> right. I don't know if that. But he gives the speech. Yeah, I think I think I can hear it a few times in that speech where he, he's actually slurring his words. You're right. Yeah. Now yeah. that I think about it, he says sometimes a shark looks right in you, in your eyes. <laughs> Roll back <laughs> like a doll. A shark, your lifeless eyes, black eyes, doll's eyes comes at you. Don't see me living. Till he bites you. Well, they live through the night. Despite being that drunk and the shark attacking the boat, they put barrels in the shark. The shark still descends with the barrels. It basically should be 
be able to ballast an entire whale, the shark is somehow able to descend with these huge barrels upon him. off and they decide that it's too dangerous to stay out so they run towards the shore to see if they can run them towards the shallows and get closer presumably to safety to the harbor and he runs the engine so hard he burns it out at On which purpose point, like yeah. maniacal captain ahab in full effect there yeah and he's like well now we're just adrift <laughs> with the, with this huge predator that already put a hole in the hull what are we going to do now and Cooper makes a fateful decision to go into the water. Monkey cage. I, I love that scene where uh, where Quint has to like you know eat his words and is like, wow. So what can this cage do? What kind of drugs do you have? He's got. Well, my my shit's not working, man. Let's see what you. I, got. I have a question. What kind of drugs was he on to get in that fucking cage and get in the water <laughs> with that shark? Well, in, in this in the scenario of the film, I definitely would not have done it. But if it were just a random right. like, shark encounter, I damn well would have jumped in that cage because that's just fascinating stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I would have watched you do it, but that's about it. <laughs> and you'd be Brody. Like, the half are you doing, man? And, and right. Jay, yeah. like, you, you told me, ichthyologists, I know this is, what, 1974. Are they going to, like, issue cyanide to just anybody? Was it? I think it was cyanide, right? Uh, they were strychnine. Shoot, strychnine, yeah. So they're just going to be like, oh, yeah. You seem like a good guy. Here's, here's a jar of strychnine. Go do what you yeah, want. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an alkaloid. It's a pet, like a pesticide. It's a major pesticide. And a poisoning pesticide. So how he has this these vials of it? Yeah, he's a rich dude. Maybe he just has black market connections. Well, it, yeah, good point. Yeah, but again, why would you be bringing that? And then I mean, he's just anticipating the fact that he's going to meet <laughs> this monster. You got to take this tuna down, man. But it is cool. It is a cool scene because they do some nice cuts between the uh, the actor presumably in a cage in a pool and the animatronic shark swimming by and you get the this is the first time in the film well i take it back there's an earlier shot of the shark next to the boat from above like a drone shot and the shark's the size of the boat well you and, see uh, the estuary too like you see you see the tail for the first time in the estuary like for for, for just a second but they see yeah. the, the back part of it yeah, that's true. You see, you see the uh, dorsal to the tail and the estuary, but from above, you see that the shark is the length of the boat, at which point Cooper says that's a 20-footer, and Quint says 25. Shut off that engine.
That's a 20-footer. 25. Three tons of them. For what it's worth, fellas, the, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been in the water with an 18-foot white shark. Anything over 10 feet looks like a monster. I've heard of a 20-foot white shark. I've never heard of anybody laying eyes on a 25-footer. Of course, Quint's a fisherman, so maybe he's telling fish stories. Like, you know, <laughs> that's 20 feet. No, that's 25. But you get a sense of the size of the massive. This is, this is what I remember from my first viewing is the music. Those, the, the half step comes on the John Williams soundtrack, right? And, the, and they just fade it in as the shark approaches and he passes the cage and you see him pass the cage and it takes, feels like it takes him 30 seconds to pass, to pass the cage. It's probably more like five seconds, but still you get the sense of the girth of this thing by how long it takes to pass the cage. And Hooper didn't hang, hang on to his like shark stick for like two minutes. I'm pissed that he, he, was, he was holding outside of the cage. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so the moment it gets a little bump, he's like, ah, "You stupid idiot!" I was kind of like, "Man, this is this is literally like your first time doing this, right? Like you, <laughs> you you have not done this before." Shark circles back as he takes the. I don't know what kind of weapon that is either. It it's I think it's supposed I was to be that myself. Almost looks like a like some kind of a putty applicator from Home Depot, but. He's got a cork on the end of it. Does they have, like, don't they have, Jay, like, what they call bang sticks that they put shotgun shells into to run sharks away? Well, I, I don't know about bang sticks per se. The only thing I've ever seen for a shark to turn is called a, it's, it's called a shark billy. It's like a long, it looks like a little baseball bat, and it's actually used to just push them away. It blunt, it's a blunt interest, instrument. I'm trying to remember, there's something along the lines of... Bill's bang sticks? Does that sound right? Yeah, I've never seen anybody use those, and, and the, the thought behind it is you're just going to piss it off. Right, right, right. If you gently redirect a shark, typically it senses your resistance and moves away. I mean, it's body language, in, interestingly, is usually enough to deter most predators, uh, most shark predators, in my experience. If you look at them, they, they look back, and if you... If you aim and move in their direction, almost every shark predator will move away from you. Now, they might circle back behind you to see if they can get the advantage. Right. But these are intelligent animals. They're not, with all due deference to Hooper, these aren't. All they do is swim and eat and make little sharks. So that might be all they do, but that's not all they think. It's not Jason at Crystal Lake. <laughs> so the big fish circles back and in a jump scare hits the cage, hits it hard. And this is our first sort of full-on view of the teeth of the animatronic animal up close. Like Bondo says, he, in, in a split second, immediately loses his weapon, which he was brandishing <laughs> outside the cage. The shark is attacking the cage. And this is, this is one part where I had to suspend disbelief, too, because they show the topside action, and, the, and you see a few bubbles, but you don't see any movement of the boat or of the cage or of the line. You just see Brody saying, bring him the hell up. Yeah, there's there's a great scene like when the uh, he hooks it, I guess, on like kind of the telephone pole steps of the crow's nest and like it falls in. He gets it cranked. <laughs> it somehow gets it cranked up and it's just like, yeah, this fucking guy's gone. Uh, yeah. And, and then it falls and like the, as a precursor to the next next thing that happens. So, but somehow Hooper escapes uh, and swims quickly downward, and we're left to believe that the shark might have got him. So Quint suddenly looks very wary at the ocean almost immediately after they lose the cage. This is when the shark attacks the boat. Like he just he almost is like a half free willy. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he just hops he up. Breaches. Yeah, he just hops up on the, the boat. The shark breaches. It, I mean, yeah, he, he's this shark is gunning for these guys. He knows it's a boat. He knows there's people on the boat. He wants the people. He doesn't want the boat. <laughs> so he hops on the boat, and <laughs> it starts to sink. Brody and Qu- Quint are both holding on, trying, losing their balance, sliding in. Quint slides down and can't get a grip. He's fighting with the shark, trying to keep from being bitten. And it looks like he's he looks like he's uh, putting up a good fight, but nope. Bites his leg, and then he goes up a little further, bites his stomach, and Jesus Christ, man, by the time he drags him into the water, he's up to his shoulders. <laughs> Shout out to Kru- Quint, though, man. He he does pick up the machete, and he's like stabbing that thing as he goes. So he's not going without a fight. Same for Hooper in the cage. He pulled out right. that knife and started, you know, right. which I was like, right. dude, just take out an eye. Isn't that what they say? Like, take yeah, out an gill, eye. Hit the gill, hit the eye. You're right. Yeah. Hit, the, hit the eye, hit the gills. You're yeah. absolutely right, man. But yeah, man, it, he goes down and uh, Brody's stuck. He's stuck on a sinking boat. Hooper and Quentin de- dead, as far as he knows. Yep. This is when he finally steps up because he's got nothing else to do. He grabs a so, rifle, grabs a pole. What's interesting is that with the, with the breaching scene, there's no way a shark would ever leap out of the water like that to, to catch a human on a boat. However, we now know that chasing a seal or a prey item, the shark, white sharks can quite easily jump onto the back of a boat, just like you saw in the film. Now, would they, would they stay there and, and wait for Captain Quint to land in their gullet? Probably not. They'd be thrashing and trying to get back in the water, but there are documented shark breaches that landed on ships, on boats, similar to that. Well, one thing I learned from uh, another great shark movie, Deep Blue Sea. Swore that we say it was the snow that killed the other two, but it wasn't. Nature can be lethal, but it doesn't hold a candle to man. Now you've seen how bad things can get and how quick they can get that way. Well, they can get a whole lot worse. So we're not going to fight anymore. We're going to pull together and we're gonna find a way to get out of here. First, we're gonna seal off this This is true, but much, uh, much to the uh, Dismay of the makers of Jaws 3D. <laughs> oh, and, so and, and I just saw he took it. I mean, the shark knew what he's doing. Once he jumped on the boat, he was stuck. He's like, I, I can't. Once I get on here, that's it. So he got lucky that the boat just sank enough that 
he landed in water and or went further deep in the water and was able to get out of it. Yeah, I thought it was I thought he was stuck on the boat, not that he was just hanging out. Well let's let's not forget too, like in, in Jaws of the Revenge, it is canon, like they, they can hold grudges. That's a biological truth. Well, and it does go Wait, back J- to JX, the- you're you're telling me that like a shark wouldn't do that. Are you gonna tell me next that it wouldn't get sucked up in a tornado and like attack cities? I mean I can't I can't buy this. <laughs> whoa, whoa, let's 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 not don't <coughs> fake put words news. into my mouth. Fake news. No. So the shark then is coming, and I'm sure you guys noticed this too, but this has always stuck with me, is that as the shark swims back to eat Brody, Brody's on the crow's nest as the ship goes down, and he's got his rifle. That's, oh, another, that's another awesome shot. That's another awesome shot. As the boat's going down and he's on the crow's nest, he's right above the water. That's an amazing shot. I forgot a step. So after the shark eats Quint, he actually breaks into the galley through the window, or maybe it's into the pilot house. Oh, yeah. It's halfway underwater, and in in his defense, Brody's like yeah, he throws he that it. tank into his mouth, right? Yeah, he hits him on the nose yeah. with it. Smart move if he can't get the eye or the gills, like we just said, and he winds up just in desperation, just hurling it at the shark, and it happens to land in his in his mouth. It's when he sort of takes his rifle and goes up to the crow's nest, which is going underwater, and starts firing at the shark. Who, when he swims at him, and I'm sure again, like you, I'm sure you guys notice this, but it still disturbs me. He's got little chunks of quint left in Isn't his. Isn't that great? Oh, that's such a great Awful time. shirt and flesh and yeah. blood. And it's just, it's nasty. It's like the um, further it, into the movie you go, even though it's the finale, like it gets more gruesome. Yeah. M1, M1 Grand Rifle, still in uh, still in use on uh, military bases to this day. Well, wow. I was going to ask, like, how much uh, ammo do those things have? Well, I, I want to say it's like an eight-shot clip. When one in the one in the chamber. Funny story, like I bid on that rifle in like a celebrity auction. I didn't even get close. My wife that, that exact one? That, that, it went that on exact sale. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I wanna say it went it went for like over fifty grand. It was something insane. But the oh, axe wow. the axe from the shining was in the same auction, but I I threw my hat in and I was like, I gotta gotta give it a chance. Will you take fifty bucks? Exactly. <laughs> I, I did. I do own an M1 Grand, but not not that one, unfortunately. At the but end yeah. of the auction, did you? Uh, I would have. Uh, I would have. If, if the auctioneer said going once, going twice, I, I, right before he said gone, I would have said, "Smile, you son of a." <laughs> <laughs> I would have. That's a crazy story, man. Brody gets a shot off with that great one-liner again, having to suspend disbelief. Scuba tank acts as a massive explosive bomb and basically blows the top half of the shark away. And, uh, and as it's floating down, if you listen to it, like the the noise that it makes, that's a sample from King Kong. When oh, you yeah? kind of listen to the shark like floating down and it's it, you know the head's gone and it's floating down to the bottom. Yeah, that was that was his tribute to King Kong. You can kind of listen to it and you hear Kong's roar. Yeah, li- listen to it like as it's kind of floating down after he's blown its head off. Like as, when the blood's in the water and the body's going down, it's 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 the original King Kong.
or animatronic that they used when the shark was blown half. You know, like at the very end there. No, it's cool, and and they clearly spared no expense on the gore. Um, right. Because there's more blood than probably like three sharks put together that comes out of that thing, and <laughs> and Brody raises his hand and and he's so he's thrilled and he can't believe it. For what it's worth, though, I, I have seen and I I suspected, and then it was proven on. Did you guys see the MythBusters where they actually mm-hmm. shot fresh air? Yeah. yeah. Mondo James, did you guys see that? They they put a. a they they took the same type rifle and they you know with all the appropriate sh- safety precautions and they put it inside a, a storage container uh, a, a fill a full scuba tank and they shot it and basically it just it aimlessly bounces around like a rocket so the hole in the tank acts like an escape jet of right. air and uh, and the tank sort of bounced around so it'd be dangerous but and it might have might have knocked them out but it, it certainly would have blown up like that. That could yeah. be really entertaining, though, if it would have, like, shot the shark, and then the shark would have been, like, flying around the entire... <laughs> <laughs> like a birthday balloon. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It wouldn't, it. it wouldn't have been as effective. It wouldn't have been as effective, but it would have been pretty fucking funny. <laughs> Make the fart sound. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, you gassy bastard. <laughs> or better yet, play some uh, Benny Hill. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That would have been clashing. Oh, that's great. Shark winds up on a big plate somewhere. <laughs> that pretty much takes us close to the end of the movie with one little surprising end. Uh, he's basically, the chief is clinging to the wreckage of the boat, exhausted, and we see some bubbles occur. And I don't know about you guys, but my, on my first viewing, I thought, damn it, there's another shark. I do love that Brody almost shits his pants when he like looks around there for a second. And you can tell at that point, if that were a shark, he'd just be dead. He's like, yeah, I give in. Yeah. But our good friend Hooper made it. Comes up and they they share a nice human moment. Hooper just says the word Quint. The chief just shakes his head and says no. After which they talk about maybe getting in on a couple of the remaining barrels. Fittingly, they survive on the barrels that were supposed to kill the shark. And in the background, you see them approaching the beach. And I think even landing on the beach as the credits start to roll. And a, and a nice denouement, if you will, of the music starts. And the end of the film. Did you guys ever watch it long enough to see that they actually stood up on the beach? Because I think I did. I don't know. Man, my I eyes are bad. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you have to kind of, it's almost like watching for Easter eggs at the end of movies today, but, and they didn't have, there was, you know, Ferris Bueller moment at the end of Jaws. But I do think in the background, you can actually see them standing up and hoisting themselves up onto the beach, which is kind of cool. I will say this if you watch Jaws 2 out front of the um, Brody household, they're using one of the barrels as a planter. That's fitting. I, I did not catch that. Well done, my friend. But that sort of takes us to the end, and it sort of feels like, I don't know, when I, whenever I watch this film uh, on rewatches, I usually don't watch the whole thing. I usually just catch a few minutes here or there. But when you actually sit down and watch it, it's a, even today, what 1975 to now, that, it is a, it's 45 years, right, in the making. That is yeah. still, a, that's a satisfying ride. And no commentary track ever for that movie, which is disappointing. Yeah, I'd love, well, I'd love to hear what, it. That's pretty much what we just recorded, I presume. Well, yes. Yeah, there's that. And, and you guys have... have Paul Spielberg, have, we're going to... You guys have, <laughs> have, have come to realize what a, a sad old man I am, that I know that much about Jaws. You're in good company, pal. That's, that's why we wanted you here. Great movie, though. Great soundtrack. It's started a career. Something else, man. There's, there's, to me, there's nothing like it. I, I, I can watch that movie anytime from any part, always enjoy it. 
Always. Yeah, I think I think if you can find a way, like like you said, uh, James, it feels so tropey now, and it's just so it's been right. just so like you know mocked and popularized and all that stuff. I've always been a person who can like put that stuff aside, so I think it still holds up. By the end of the movie, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get in the water. I think it's good. It's still it's still a great great flick. I really enjoyed it. You know what? Something I, I just I find this interesting across the board with it anything in life. But when I talk about anything, if it's music or movies or anything, and I'm talking to someone that has an absolute love or passion for it, it makes me go back and reevaluate it and approach it from a slightly different angle. So like listening to Jay and Pax talk about it, I even have a greater appreciation just listening to them talk. I do think I can set that aside a little bit. I, I think it's, it's a very solid movie. And I'm sure upon rewatches, I'll enjoy it even more. Say one cra- crazy thing, like yeah, n- not that telling you guys to do this, but if you watch it back-to-back with Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, and you look at a lot of the cinematography tricks that he uses, a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff shows up. It's a lot of... He, he was a, a student of Kurosawa, apparently. So was George Lucas. All of Star Wars was uh, Hidden Fortress. I think I think it was what it was. There were like two kind of Japanese characters there were, were R2-D2 and C-3PO. But but yeah, it, it's pretty interesting like to see where inherited a lot of this a lot of the cinematography tricks from that's very cool so did, you, did you just pick the next movie we're doing ding All right that's that's probably my second favorite movie uh, i'll watch that seven samurai gotcha. is awesome it's been on my watch list for years now and i have not seen it but it's very high on my list of a movie to watch so it would give me one more reason to watch it if we if we did do a podcast on it. <laughs> oh it's it's dude it's it's amazing it's a it's such a such a wonderful film it sounds like a contender. I haven't seen it either, so we might have to keep it on the radar. Well, I'll I'll wrap a little bow on all this by thanking you fellas for joining me to talk about it. I think it's a great film. I think it's in some ways it's a it's a masterclass in filmmaking and, and suspense. I'll counter Mondo in, in just this one way. This film, every time I see it, it, encourages me to get back into the water to compare because this is a fan, on one level on a, a simple level this is a fantastic monster movie yeah, yeah. It's like an actual yeah. external monster film that couples itself into a psychological suspense thriller amongst three principal characters in that way it sort of lends itself to think to paranoia films paranoia thriller monster films like the thing and, and other films that happened later as much as i uh, know that it's fiction and subject myself to in person personally enjoy the ocean and all its animals in reality i can separate the reality from the fiction and enjoy the fiction and thank you fellas for joining us to uh, speak about this fantastic movie and pax's favorite Hey, Jay, can I throw one more thing, little little piece of trivia in there? Jaws poster, right? Iconic, the shark, the woman. It's been missing since 1975. The guy who drew it, he sent it out on the book tour. It never came back. Nobody knows where it is. Oh, I thought you were going to say, and I have it. <laughs> Brother, if, if I did, I would not I would not be advertising it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, the four of us have pretty significant Twitter presence. Pax, you want to tell us how we can uh, get a hold of you on Twitter? At Kung Fu Dracula. Where does it come from, Twitter. by the way? Have you ever seen the, uh, I'm trying to, The Seven Golden Vampires? It was an old Shaw Brothers movie, kind of like the, the Chinese version of Blaxploitation. Okay. And they actually had a Blaxploitation crossover with 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 the Shaw brothers. But yeah, it was an exploitational film company. They they were basically like cranking out as many movies as they could. And if you haven't seen Seven Golden Vampires, it's it's really good. Uh um 
All right, oh. clock strikes midnight. We've already got like three episodes already lined up, just because because Pax is remembering awesome movie titles. <laughs> James, uh, how can we how can we get a hold of you, man? At James D seven thousand four on Twitter. You'll see a bu- <laughs> you'll you'll see a bunch of da- bad dad jokes, some short films, uh, great dad jokes, yeah, uh, unstoppable dad jokes. Mondo, you have a your own podcast which is outstanding called Thematic Elements, and how do we get a hold of you? My username or handle is Blink Bomber, and you can get a hold of me pretty much anywhere you can search for Blink Bomber. <laughs> like, you can do Twitter, maybe <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, Xbox, PlayStation, anything else you could think of, probably. He's keeping it consistent, baby. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying to remember, though. It, it, you told me once, and then I forgot, and now I just named Mondo, so I, I kind of forgot the origin. Is, is it, it's a combination of Blink-182, I think. Yep. The band. And I don't remember the bomber part. I just associate that with like a USS submarine somewhere I heard that was named bomber. Or it could just be like plane too. But either way, to me, it's always been punk rock submarine. Okay, maybe we should rename the whole podcast. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm uh, JX Dill at Finn313 after my favorite fish, the shark, and my hometown, Detroit. So, fellas, thanks for talking about this outstanding film. I'm so psyched we were able to do it. And uh, Fox Strikes Midnight. We will see you for our next topic. Well, guys, thanks for this, man. Really, the human interaction was, was kind of nice. I'm glad not to be talking about servers for a change. Thank you for listening to Clock Strikes Midnight. For more information or to suggest topics, find me on Twitter at Finn313. The show's music was written by Kevin McLeod and can be found on Incompetech.com. So until next time, friends, may every tick of the clock bring you love, health, and good fortune. And remember, at two in the morning, the wind comes back for more leaves.